for those of you who don't know me, my name is Justin Garza. I'm one of the ministers here at this church and a servant to the Word of God. We're going to not have any slides today, so I'm going to ask you guys to follow along in your Bibles this morning. If you need a Bible, there should be one underneath one of the seats in front of you. And uh, when you guys pull that out, you guys could open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's where we're basically going to park it and hang out this morning. Um, so when you make your way to 1 Peter 2, save your spot and then set that aside for a minute. Um, I want to uh, begin our time today with a, a reading from the Word of the Lord um, before we settle in to uh, our passage in 1 Peter this morning. So these are the words from God. This comes from Exodus chapter 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now we're going to jump ahead several hundred years to the prophet Jeremiah. And this comes from Jeremiah chapter 31. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Now we jump ahead again several hundred years to the Apostle Peter and our passage today. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Pray with me. O oh, great Father in heaven, holy is your name. We thank you for the breath of life that you have breathed into us. And we acknowledge that it is your voice that speaks entire worlds into creation. We praise you for the gift of your living and active word and the Holy Spirit who filled those who wrote the words of Scripture, who was with those who protected, preserved, and translated the words of Scripture, and who is with us as we read and listen to the words of Scripture. 
Grant to us this morning hearts that long for you just as the deer thirsts for the water. Minds that can comprehend the message you have for us. Strength to live faithfully in the exile. And souls that are being transformed more and more into the image of your Son. Remind us who we are, God. People of the covenant. Sons and daughters of the one true King. Remind us what you would have us do, Lord, as your royal priesthood. Remind us where we belong in the community of the holy nation. Remind us of all the times when you have revealed how special we are to you, God. None more evident than in the sending of your Son. Remind us why we are here, Lord, to proclaim and sing out your excellencies. Be with us at this time. Through Jesus we pray. So some of you guys know that this, uh, I had the privilege this summer to spend a few weeks out at Daybreak Camp out in Felton, California. Um, our church, and in particular our youth group and several other youth groups in the Bay Area, have a long-standing relationship with Daybreak, and it's this awesome camp. And I'm just one of many ministers who, uh, over the years, who's come alongside and joined in the work of the, uh, the excellent camp ministry that happens out there. Um, in particular, I'm part of a camp planning team who um, has committed to planning and executing the uh, camps for the middle schoolers, which is Wildside, and the camps for the high schoolers, which is FDC, or Faith Development Camp. And we literally, we spend the whole year working on these camps. So we meet every single month for discussion about themes. Um, we debate over which experiential elements and activities and games to include. And to the flow of the schedule and the theological focus that will hopefully carry through the week. This is something that we commit to. And there's a lot of work that goes into these camps. There's a lot of heart and creativity that goes into these camps. There's many debates, sometimes even disagreements over the plans for these camps. And there's always a whole lot of prayer for these camps. And this was my third year as part of this team. And uh, it always blows me away how... Um, God shows up in some really cool ways at daybreak. Uh, and, and oftentimes it's the unplanned things where God really shows up and reminds us that all that work and all that we do, it's not really about us. Our role is we get to set the table and we get to send out the invitations and God provides the feast. And so one of the big things that we do as we consider um, what we're going to focus on for the camps is we spend that year really just trying to um, take an honest assessment of what is going on in the lives of our teenagers and in, in the world around us and identify a problem that we see them wrestling with in light of a Christian worldview and perspective of faith. And so the problem that we took on this year was not a new problem. It's one that probably every one of us in here has wrestled with or continues to wrestle with in some way or another. And it's the struggle with identity and purpose and belonging as we navigate the world around us, and specifically for our teens as they navigate adolescence in the midst of all of that. So the questions of who are we, and what are we supposed to do, and where do we belong, and when will God reveal himself to me? Why are we even here? And so this who, what, where, when, and why became an important focus for us this summer. And these are tough questions, and um, there's a lot of competing noise around us trying to answer those questions with fancy philosophies and self-help libraries, uh, promises for your best life yet, and secret laws of attraction. These are things that we compete against in uh, the noise around us. But wrestling with these questions can often leave us feeling a bit disoriented as well. 
And throughout scripture, this disorientation is commonly described using the language of exile or Babylon or wandering or sojourning or sometimes just plain being lost. And over the past several years, we've heard these terms a lot. We've done class curriculums with these terms, studying Babylon and exile. And they seem to be coming more and more, port more, and more important to a lot of authors and Bible scholars and theologians. These terms are coming up quite a bit more. And I think that that rise in popularity is perhaps uh, indicative to the state that we find Christianity today and the world that we find ourselves in. And so our underlying theme for our camps this year was lost for our middle schoolers and exile for our high schoolers. And this is what we kind of leaned into. So if you've ever spent time um, hiking in the woods or uh, perhaps got lost in the desert somewhere, you would know that um, a, a helpful tool for navigating and reorienting our sense of direction is a compass. So a compass is an instrument that's used for navigation, for orientation, and when it works properly, it should point us in the direction of true north, or at least magnetic north, which should get us pretty close, close to the true north. And so similar, in a similar way, in our wandering through this exile where sometimes we can feel a bit lost, uh, wrestling with these tough identity and belonging questions, I believe that this verse in 1 Peter 2.9 can serve as a compass for us to help point us in the right direction. Like the compass, this verse is not true north itself. And also like the compass, it is a much more effective tool when you have the whole map. It's definitely more effective that way. But it can help to reveal and point us in the proper direction as we press on and move closer to God, finding our true identity in Christ. So this was our theme for camps. And I'd encourage you guys to, I'm not going to tell a whole lot of stories from camp, um, but I'd encourage you guys to talk to our students, talk to our teens, talk to those volunteers who served, and hear their stories about the ways God showed up at camp this summer. Um, but we're going to dive right into this passage and just start to unpack some of these questions here. And I think one of the important things that stood out to me um, through my time wrestling with this letter in 1 Peter is how rooted it is in the Hebrew Bible, or as we call it, the Old Testament that Peter is um, extremely well-versed in the Jewish scriptures. Um, he makes this passage right here in verse 9 is a direct connection to some of the language we heard in Exodus 19. As God is giving this covenant to the people on Mount Sinai, Peter is kind of referencing this in the language that he's choosing here in this letter. Um, he's also very aware of the writings of the prophets. Um, verse 10 is definitely a reference to um, some writings in Hosea. Um, and he would have been familiar with this prophecy from Jeremiah um, pointing forward to the Messiah, to the coming of this new covenant, to Jesus. And, and Peter is referencing the fulfillment of that that was found in Christ. And so the first question that we wrestled with with our students, and granted, we spread this out over the course of a week. I'm going to unpack it in hopefully 30 minutes. But our first question that we wrestled with is the who. Um, who am I? And this is a question people have been asking um, since the beginning of time, really. Um, even, even in the temptation, it's like, who am I? Well, I could be like God. There's this question that can lead us to all sorts of different um, ways of answering that. Great philosophers have wrestled with this question over the years, and the span of history is filled with writings trying to discern that answer. Who am I? But Peter makes it pretty clear for us right from the beginning of this verse, where he says, you are a chosen race. Some translations say you are a chosen people. But, you know, we could stop right here 
And we could just embrace that for the face value statement that it is. It's a beautiful statement. To be chosen by God is a special thing. Uh, Paul writes in Romans that those whom God predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We are his chosen people. This is a beautiful statement of truth and, and promise to us. And so we remember, though, that part of this is that Peter is um, using some very specific language here, connecting us to the Exodus, to, to Exodus 19. And so Peter is revealing to us not just that we have been chosen, but that we are the new Israel, the people of the covenant that God made on Mount Sinai. We are the chosen race that will experience the promises and fulfillment of God's faithful covenant. And so because it is God who does the choosing, we can't boast about it. We can't boast about being included in his kingdom. But one thing that is super important for us as we search for identity is we cannot forget that we have been included. Because once we were not even a people, but now we are God's people. And we praise God for that. So as God's chosen race then, as God's chosen people, then we come to the question, well, what are we to do? And from the very beginning, um, God has given us free will. He has given the freedom of choice. And even the freedom to choose things that are contrary to his nature and what he wants for us. And so there's a lot of answers to this question. And some of those answers are good ones and some of them are terrible ones. Um, some of those answers may even de be dependent on where we find ourselves in time and history in both the church and in the world. What are we here to do where we find ourselves in, in the time that we're living in? But Peter breaks through some of those specifics and he gives us the timeless answer to this question when he says we are a royal priesthood. And so again, this is a direct connection. It's direct language from Exodus 19 that God says we will be a kingdom of priests. And the covenant that was made with the Israelites, and, and so it's important here to recognize that when the Lord called Israel to be a kingdom of priests, he is not just simply talking about the role of like a church priest or the role that Aaron and the Levites would play. He, he's not talking, saying that we're all going to become priests in that sense, but he's saying to what Israel's life as a whole is supposed to represent among all the nations, that by living into this identity and to this call, as it's said in Exodus 19, by keeping the covenant, that the people of Israel would continue both to set themselves apart from, but also to mediate the presence and the blessing of the Lord to all the nations around them. And that even points back to... Um, to God's call to Abram in, in Genesis, where he says, I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing, and that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so as Peter applies this term to the church, this royal priesthood, he's explaining that the mixed body now of Jewish and Gentile believers, that now we inherit the privileges of Israel. That through our faithfulness to the new covenant, Jesus... And living out the what, we get to be a blessing to all nations, not just to our own nation of Christians, but a blessing to all the nations, including those who are on the outside. And so what are we to do? We're to be the royal priesthood. We are to show the goodness and the mercy of Christ to everyone around us, because once we too had not received mercy, but now we have received God's mercy. 
And we praise God for that. So now we dig into the where question. Where do I belong? Where do we belong? And in our current culture and society, um, especially my experiences as a Californian growing up here, um, in our culture, it's very, we see a strong individual and independent mindset. Um, you do you is a common uh, anthem and philosophy that basically says, do your own thing or do what you want, be true to yourself, do what feels right to you. And this type of philosophy, it's not just observed in the secular realm, but this is very prevalent in churches as well today, that we see this same kind of mindset um, creeping into the church, that many people believe that Christianity is really just about personal relationship with God and Christ, and that the church or, or religion as a whole is just sort of an outdated model, and it's not necessary for a life of faith. Uh, we see it often in the church, not just this church, but the church, where, where many people um, who wear the name tag of Christian don't really lean into any sort of Christian community. Or if they do, it can be with a very minimalist attitude of involvement. Sort of like the, as long as the assembly or the gathering doesn't conflict with my schedule or my free time, then, then I'll participate. But, but it's not really that necessary. You know, I have my Jesus, and so you do you, and, and I'll do me. And so devotion to each other has sort of taken on a different meaning for us uh, in our present day and age, that it's come to mean something more along the lines of show up occasionally and, you know, make some small talk in the foyer at the end of worship, and then we go our separate ways for lunch, and, and that's kind of our community. But Peter answers this when he says, you are a holy nation. He doesn't call us to... Um, be a holy individual. He says that we, the people, the body of Christ, actually are a united nation of believers. And as such, we belong in the community of that holy nation. And so this entire passage, I think, is really important to recognize that Peter's not using uh, individualistic language. When he says, you are a chosen race, uh, he could say, but you are a chosen person. But he doesn't. He says, you are a chosen people. He doesn't call us a royal priest. He says, we are a royal priesthood. He doesn't say, you're to be a holy individual. He says, you're to be a holy nation. So really, this you in here is, is better, uh, a better way to say that would be y'all. Y'all <laughs> are a chosen race, right? Y'all are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. This is, this is kind of what he's telling us to do. And it is absolutely true that faith is not a solo journey. It is a beautiful truth that God does invite us into a deep and intimate and personal relationship with Him. That is absolutely true, but that has become kind of a twisted philosophy that we don't really need the church, the people of God, to live out the Christian life. And we can come up with all sorts of reasons why not. It could be personality conflicts. It could be, ah, something they said, I didn't really like that, or you know, they sing, they sing the songs too slow or too fast, or whatever. We could come up with all sorts of reasons why we don't need the community, how we could do just fine on our own, but we were never intended to do that. And that's evident from the beginning in creation when it wasn't good for man to be alone. It was evident um, all throughout the pages of Scripture. It's evident in the triune nature of our God, the one that we follow. I came across a quote that I liked, um, and it says, True community does not come into being because people have feelings for each other, though that is required too, but rather on two accounts. 
all of them have to stand in a living reciprocal relationship to a single living center. And they have to stand in a living reciprocal relationship to one another. The second event has its source in the first, but is not immediately given with it. A living reciprocal relationship includes feelings, but is not derived from them. A community is built upon a living reciprocal relationship, but the builder is the living active center. I really like that quote a lot. Um, if you guys want me to write that down for you, I will. We belong in community with each other. Peter, Peter makes that clear. He says, we are the holy nation. And so I think it's important as we connect this to our call as the kingdom of priests, this royal priesthood, that we remember we need to tear down the walls that may divide or separate us or that may be built to keep people out because this holy nation is open to all people. And so as we move through these questions, we come to a tough one. We find ourselves in the midst of this waiting place, in this, this exile. We read scriptures that talk about us being in the world but not of the world. Um, we believe that not only did Christ rise from the dead and ascend into heaven, but that he will come again and he will make all things new and we will get to experience the fullness of his kingdom, the fulfillment of the promise of eternity with God. And so we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, we wait and we ask, when will I know or when will God reveal himself to us? And when will I know that this faith thing is real? And there's a lot of layers to this question. That could be its own sermon in itself. It's not an easy one to answer, but at its very core is what a leap of faith is and has always been, is that we walk by faith and we don't walk by sight. You know, in most cases, we don't get to see the end of the story. But we do trust that God is writing a story, a beautiful story of redemption, and that we are a part of it. And Peter writes uh, that we are God's special possession. So he leans into this here from this context, that we are his special possession. And in doing so, he reminds us that God has revealed himself to us, um, never more clearly than in the image of his son Jesus, but also all throughout creation and through the words of Scripture, God has revealed himself to us, and continues to reveal himself to us. He says that while, Paul writes, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how special we are to God and how badly he wants to bring us back to him. And God does continue to reveal himself to us. Uh, we can see and recognize the work of our Lord in our lives, but we need to keep our eyes open for it. And oftentimes that's our problem is we, we just don't see God's work in our lives. And so we wrestle with that question. When will God really reveal himself to me? Um, but it's a beautiful redemption story and we get to be a part of it. I read this from C.S. Lewis. Um, it is not an abstraction called humanity that is to be saved. It is you, your soul, and in some sense yet to be understood, even your body that was made for the high and holy place. All that you are, Every fold and crease of your individuality was devised from all eternity to fit God as a glove fits a hand. All that intimate particularity which you can hardly grasp yourself, much less communicate to your fellow creatures, is no mystery to him. He made those ins and outs that he might fill them. Then he gave your soul so curious a life because it is the key designed to unlock that door of all the myriad doors in him. Beautiful quote. 
We are God's special possession. He has revealed that to us in Christ. He continues to reveal that to us each and every day if we keep our eyes open. And back to our last point, it is much easier to do that, to develop the spiritual awareness, to work out our spiritual muscles if we do that in community with the holy nation. And so lastly, we move to the why question. Why are we here? As, as Rod would tell you, this is a question I, I wrestle with often as someone who lives in kind of that Ecclesiastes mindset. I find myself asking a lot of the questions that Kohelet asks throughout that book. There's just so many things that seem to be meaningless, and uh, there's nothing new under the sun. And yes, sure, there is a season for all things, and, but the sun rises and it sets, and it just hurries around to rise again. So what is the point? What is the point of all of this? Why are we here? It's a question that can haunt a lot of people, and we can get stuck in this question trying to figure that out. But I think Peter dares to answer it with this when he says that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We get distracted and reactive as Christians, often living in the exile. Um, we react to the world around us, uh, oftentimes with scorn, if, uh, if we see things that seem outside of the Christian worldview, um, outside of the values that we value as Christians. And so we can spend a lot of our time telling the world what we are against. And yes, I do believe that there is absolutely a time for correction and a time for rebuking and a time where we stand against evil. I, I absolutely believe that. But we can become known more for the things that we are against than the one that we are for, the one that we stand for. We can be known more as people who proclaim the things that we are opposed to than as a people who proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. And Peter tells us, or Paul tells us, to think on the things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable, excellent and worthy of praise. And not only should we be thinking on these things, but we should living, be living out these things and then singing and proclaiming these things. Our why is evident right here that we are here to proclaim His excellencies. I'm going to tell you a quick story as I kind of move to wrap up. And this, you know, my stories of camp are a little bit, uh, they're a little different. My experience was a little different because I was in the crew, so I'm kind of behind the scenes and doing other things. And um, so I really believe that the students had a powerful experience this summer at camp. I think there was a lot of good things, and I think that the hopes that we had of this theme and this theology really resonated with a lot of our students. But largely for me, the two weeks of Wildside and FTC was very frustrating. Um, and I, I, I'm not proud of that. I kind of came home from FDC feeling like, what the heck? Like, this was my camp experience, and, you know, was I even faithful to the, to the role? And we had reached the Friday night of FDC. So this is like the last night. We go home Saturday. And, um, and I, there's things that happen, and I could give you all the reasons why, but I was just not in a good place. I was very frustrated. I was angry. Um, I was not in the mood to talk to anyone. When I got dinner that night, I went through the line. I came out, and I'm like, where am I going to sit? The kids' table with the pre-campers, because I can just hang out with them. They won't ask you know, crazy questions. I won't have to sit here and have these discussions. I, I wasn't proud of that. I, I work with teens. That's what I do. I should be engaging in that and other minister buddies. But I'm like, I want to sit at the kids' table. 
Well, sure enough, one of my buddies, a minister, comes out of the line, and he's like, oh, where should I sit? This looks like the cool table, so he sits down. And then another minister comes out, hey, I'm going to sit with you guys. All right, okay. And then one of our students, a teenager, comes out, and, you know, she sits down, and they start this uh, conversation that when I stepped back, it was an awesome conversation. There's great questions being asked and great answers being given and just really cool conversation. And the whole time, I'm like, what? like I, I just don't want to be here. I need to, I got to get up. I'm supposed to help lead worship here in like 30 minutes. And I'm like, I can't lead worship. Like, I'm just angry. Like, I, I don't want to sing. I don't want to, I don't want to do that. And I excused myself. I said, hey, I'm really sorry. I'm not, this is nothing personal, but I got to go. I got to get up. And I got up from the table and I walked away. And I felt terrible that I'm walking away from one of my students, from some of my minister friends, and from really good conversation. And I went to my other friend who's in charge of leading worship for the week, and I said, hey, I know you wanted my help. This is going to be our last night of worship, and you wanted me to play some guitar and sing, and I can't do it. I just can't do it. I'm just, my heart's all, it's a mess, and I, I can't sing right now. I can't, I can't praise God right now, and I definitely can't lead other people to do that right now. And then in my back of my head, I just kept thinking of all the times when people have talked to me about that, like, oh, I'm too busy for church or for gathering or... I'm too busy to pray, and I, I don't have time for it, or, you know, I'm, my heart's not right, so I can't say yes to, like, doing the communion thought or to, to leading something. I just, I can't do that right now. And how many times my answer to them has been, maybe that's exactly why you need to. And I hear God saying that to me, and it's like, all right. I get, I get my guitar and my songbook, and this is like a trek up this hill up to the grove, which is like, it's a long trek, and so I'm like, you know, and I get up there, and I'm out of breath, and so I'm just breathing. I'm breathing heavy. My friend Tyler's there, and he's the only one up there. And he's like, come over here, and let's pray. And he prayed for us and the worship that we were about to lead. And so then after the prayer, we started going through some of the songs we were going to do. We're about 20 minutes out till students show up, and we're going to start worship. And uh, I'm not into it. I'm, like, singing really softly and playing some guitar for him, but I'm, I'm just not into it. And we get to um, the song, Everlasting God, Strength Will Rise As We Wait Upon the Lord. And I'm like mouthing those words, Strength Will Rise As We Wait Upon the Lord. Strength Will Rise As We Wait Upon the Lord. And then we get to this chorus, You are the everlasting God. The everlasting God. You, you will not faint. You don't grow weary. You're the defender of the weak. You comfort those in need. You lift us up on wings like eagles. And I, I just couldn't stop singing it as loud as possible. And it's just me and Tyler in the grove, and we're just belting worship now at this point. It, we weren't waiting for worship to begin at 7. We weren't practicing worship. We were worshiping. We were proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And students come up the hill, and I'm like, I don't want to stop. Let's just keep going. Let's not wait till we... And they're like, hey, well, let's do Lighthouse. Okay, we'll do my Lighthouse. We start just playing. We don't have lyrics. We're just... We just start going. Students are calling out songs, and I don't even know how to play them on guitar, but somehow I figured them out, and we're singing them and playing them. And it was transformative in a way that I can't even begin to express. I'll never forget that night of worship in the Grove. Because in that place, when I felt lost, like I didn't have my identity or my purpose or belonging, as I went to the why of what we are here to do to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us, all of a sudden... My identity of who I am became clear. I'm a chosen person. I'm a chosen race. 
And my purpose, what am I to do? I'm to be that royal priesthood, to shine that light, to be a blessing to others. God can work in those frustrations. He can work in some of those, those ugly things too. Where do I belong? In the community of the holy nation. You know, when will I know my faith is real? When will God reveal himself to me? Look how special he calls me as his possession. And it was transformative for me. And that was probably the, the greatest experience I had at camp this summer, was that night in the grove. Reminded myself of, with God reminding me of the why I'm here. To proclaim his excellencies. That's kind of what I wanted to share with you guys this morning. And I think um, as we lean into that identity, as we root ourselves firmly, our, our identity, purpose, belonging in Christ, I want us to consider these next two verses as our commissioning for this week. And Peter goes on in verse 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. As exiles, as people living in this exile, we need to not only abstain from and reject the things which wage war against our soul, whether it's passions of the flesh or evil in the world, etc., we need to remember to live honorably among the non-believers and to, as the royal priesthood, to be conduits of blessing to the world and mediators of God's presence in the world. Peter writes, they stumble because they disobey the word. As the world stumbles because of disobedience to God's word, Peter also writes, the honor is for you who believe. The honor is for us who believe. Because we are a chosen race, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Never forgetting very important for us because we can forget that once we were not a people but now we are God's people and once we had not received mercy but now we have received God's mercy I'd like to invite the praise team to uh, make their way back up here we'll lower the screen and turn back on the projector over there um, as they make their way up just uh, one thing you know for me it's it's a huge blessing to be called to be a part of this body of believers, this community that we get to be a part of. Today is essentially like six years exactly from the first Sunday that I walked into this church. And, and so it's really incredible to me to, to think of the way that God brought me here to this, to this body. Um, I'm happy to call this, this my family. But we're in uncertain times uh, in the world and as a church, as a congregation, and sometimes that can be discouraging. But today I want to say be encouraged, because even in exile, we remember that we are people of the covenant, recipients of the promise, heirs with Christ, and his glory is and will forever be exalted. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we pray for your church, the holy nation, the body of Christ. Fill it with all truth, in all truth, with all peace. Where it is corrupt, purify it. Where it is in error, direct it. Where in anything it is amiss, reform it. 
Where it is right, strengthen it. Where it is in want, provide for it. Where it is divided, reunite it. For the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior.